0: Thank you for joining us. This is episode 33 of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom, Kevin Buckner, and Chris Weber. And I'm pretty sure this is the earliest we're ever going to record. Probably. A.m.
1: <laughs> yeah, my coffee's that is still a little hot. unusual
2: for us. <laughs>
0: Well, wow. it, it, I don't think it's so much that any of us, except for maybe Chris, have a problem with waking up early on a Saturday. It's just we don't want to do stuff at 10 right. a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm,
1: always uh, doing something, I'm always doing something at 10 a.m. on a Saturday, but usually it's
0: We, we don't <laughs> it's need to hear breakfast. about these things, Chris.
1: <laughs> cooking
0: breakfast. <laughs> Especially not while we're recording. Yeah, he's got to pay gotta, the bills
1: somehow. Give him a break. You got a problem with eggs and bacon?
0: <laughs> um well i think it was penn and teller that said that uh any plural can be a uh
1: <sighs> sexual induendo. yeah, yeah don't hate don't hate my eggs man
3: it's not right. your eggs that like i'm that. questioning <laughs> 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 yeah
1: no turkey bacon does not taste all that great i love well, turkey bacon
0: oh no. I imagine that uh, being allergic to pork—the thing that you enjoy the taste of more than anything—is the pork. It's just the after effects that you don't care for, right? Yeah, it's it's not pleasant. Yep. That
3: I think that's how I would be too. I'm I'm glad the only allergies I have are to medicines.
0: Uh, I don't think I have any allergies. I didn't, no I used to. I, I I am allergic to abject stupidity. <laughs>
2: I have that weird reaction to bananas—you can't eat bananas very comfortably.
0: Yeah, I have that same reaction to stupidity. I, I just can't stand it.
2: Makes your mouth itch. Huh? It makes my mouth itch. It,
0: it gives me indigestion. Um...
2: <laughs> so that's why you always got to lay down for a little while after the podcast. I take you know?
0: well, it, huh? Oh, it's thanks to you, Andy.
2: <laughs> no um
0: (laughs) i there's some people that just get rent for free in my head and i have (laughs) i wish i could do more about it yeah but uh letting myself ruminate on it for a couple of days is probably the best thing i can think of to do because then it doesn't consume me any longer than that really yeah
2: rumination is torture for me that's the worst thing that could happen in my head is rumination
0: it is for me too, but if I spend all of the bandwidth trying not to think about the thing, I end up thinking about it and th- being upset with myself for thinking about it for like a week.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so if I let myself just focus on it, then it's done.
2: Yeah. I've got an, an ADD words. question for you. Since Okay. You, uh, I wouldn't say suffer ADD, but you uh, experience it on a regular basis. It. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to my my wife uh, and she's got it pretty good too. And Mm -hmm. we were just kind of talking in the bathroom this morning while we were brushing our teeth and whatnot, saying it would be interesting, really interesting to step into each other's head. That way you can see the oddities of the way things work, you know, um, I would love for somebody to be able to understand my like one track audio track that I have to cram everything into, you know, little things like that. My, my subtitles track. And and one of the things that she mentioned that was really kind of weird, she says that she's always like explaining everything she does to somebody else. Just imagining that conversation in her head all the time. I was curious if that was an ADD thing or if my wife's just a little weird,
3: probably a little of both. You think? I was going to say, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive there. Anymore. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so
0: it, it's real hard. And I, I didn't expect to do a Ted talk on it during our <laughs> podcast, but um, <laughs> there's a full spectrum of functionality, right? Uh-huh. You get the top 4%. These people have the eidetic memory or photographic memory as you may know it better. Okay. Um. They can hyperthread in their brain and they can do all of the things, right?
2: This Those is top. Are the ADD superpowers, right?
0: No, 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 no. This is the top 4% of functionality in the world.
2: Okay? Oh, okay. I see what you're
0: saying. I've actually known somebody who could literally hyperthread. She could take notes on two different subjects with both hands. Oh, wow. And the notes would be different words and all that. And she would be doing it concurrently. Literal hyperthreading, multitasking. I don't know how she did it. It is, generally speaking, unless you're in the top 4%, impossible, right? Most people have that single core processor. Um, So that's the top 4%. And then the bottom 4% is what gets classified as ADD, or ADHD is the modern evolution of that. Um, I remember when we were young. I, I don't know why... So many adults put so much credence in what they were told when they were five by other five-year-olds, but we do it,
2: right? (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs)
0: Um, But there was a distinction between ADD and ADHD, which is one is for adults and one of them is for children. And the answer is no. ADHD is the evolution of ADD. As they learned more, they were like, hmm, these (laughs) brains look the same, but they're doing different things. Maybe we should classify them together. Anyway. Yeah. So, at the bottom 4% of functionality, um, got to think, uh, it's called executive functions, things that allow you to identify social cues. Um, time management is an issue for a lot of ADHD-ers. Uh, memory, I have a memory that puts me in the bottom 10% of the world. <laughs> yeah. <no>. Um, <laughs> Things like that, right? Okay, yeah. So when you look at the bell curve, the quote-unquote typical person being closer to the average or the middle, and as you get farther away from that, obviously you have that top 4% I was talking about earlier, and then you have the bottom 4% that I live in. Okay. And your wife lives in. So 85% of that bottom 4% haven't been tested for it. They just live with it. Okay. So that's a projection that 4% actually lives with it based off of millions and millions of data points from statistical analysis. Okay. Um, there are twelve metrics for hyperactive and twelve metrics for attention deficit. Okay. And when you're an adult, and you know the, the definition for adult is fluid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're an adult Um, You have to have five in one of those categories as a minimum. If you have four, no dice. So those are like five percenters that have four and, you know, some variety thereof. But that 4% has everything from the five data points to all 12 in one section. So there's millions of possibilities or millions of combinations between the two that could... Put you on the spectrum
2: from hyperactive to attention deficit. Okay. (laughs) That's a lot more complicated than I thought it was. Like, I knew it was complicated, but. uh, Right. But yeah, hearing it written out like that kind of shows that. And I like the math of
0: it because when people abuse statistics, it pisses me off. So when I can give, like, I've dug into the mathematics of this a little bit. And it's like, how, how do people deny this? This is not the kind of thing that is quantifiably ignorable. Yeah, <laughs> there's too well, much
1: only, data. Only 23% of people back their st- back their statements up with statistics. <laughs> Are you sure it's not 20? <laughs> no, 23 sounds like a more reasonable number to make up on the spot.
3: Actually, I've heard
1: like it's only
2: like 5% of natural statistics are made up on the spot. So
3: I've I've always heard it
0: somewhere between 90 and 96. (laughs) Now, there is an interesting thing about numbers when they're being made up in your head. The number five feels too common. Even numbers feel too common. So when... They go to evaluate um, a company's books to see if they're being cooked. They will look for a large number of threes and sevens. And if there's a large, if there's a, I mean, there should be in truly random numbers, a large body of them in even number of all of the digits, right? Yeah. If there is an abnormally large number of uh, threes and sevens, it's a high indication that those books have been cooked.
2: I've heard of that study that they did and can completely agree. Whenever I'm thinking of making up a number of some things like seven tends to be my go to random number, which doesn't exactly make it very random. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. I purposely
1: like avoid I said, it because a lot of people pick seven as a lucky number. It's just way so. too common.
0: And and it's because, um, like I said, fives are super common in our head. We think, oh, it's divisible by five. It can't be random. Or yeah. if it's an even number, we think, oh, that's a super common number, too. I don't want to choose it because it won't be random. Yeah. But the the truly random numbers include everything from zero to nine for digits. Yeah. So. And that's. Yes. Like our brains
3: the, gravitate toward the prime numbers saying, this one <laughs> seems random to me.
0: Well, okay. So, uh Man, this TED talk is all over the place. Um,
3: <laughs>
0: Andy and I had a challenge that we did to find all of the prime numbers, com- uh, compute all the prime numbers between one and what did we decide? 100,000. It, arbit-
2: it was an arbitrary big uh-huh. number. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, 100,000. The whole a idea million,
2: was just like that. Who could program the program the fastest that could right. find? all of those numbers and stuff. I love little challenges like that. That was awesome.
0: And uh, about that time, I was told about what's called the sieve of Eratosthenes. Okay. Most people know him as the guy that proved the earth was round mathematically 300 years before the time of Christ. Okay. Um, But he also created a method for finding prime numbers where we, we already learned some of this in elementary school, but two is the first prime number, and any number that is even after that can't be prime because it's divisible by two. Yeah. Well, that rule applies to every prime number, right? So you go to three, and then you remove everything that's divisible by three, part of your job is already done because all the even numbers are gone.
2: Yeah.
0: Four has already been removed. Five, everything that hasn't been removed already that's divisible by five is gone. You know? And so... You can find once you get to, say, the square root of 100, which is 10, once you get to 7, you found every prime number that is less than 100 because everything that is prime higher than 7 or everything that is still there after you get to 7 is a prime number. Yeah. And there's only like 10 or 15, less than 100. But when we we programmed it, we were able to find – I wanna say hundreds of prime numbers below a million in a matter of like two seconds.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was fast. We 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 were rocking it when we were doing it. We were getting it pretty up there for speed. Ah,
0: I agree. That was fun. I haven't come across a good challenge like that in a while. If I do, I'll have to fire up yeah. our little challenge again.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was a good time.
0: So, Andy, have you done anything with your 3D printer this week?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, I, I did do one project. Um, I have a uh, a van; it's a, a bus, a mini bus. That's our secondary vehicle at the house. Long story why we have a mini bus for that, but just take it for what it is. We do have that, and the door handle on it that when you're inside, the armrest slash handle to close the door mm-hmm. uh, suddenly became very loose. And uh, looking at it, the um, it's got two screws that hold that down and the two screws, the only thing that was actually mounting that armrest piece was the pleather that, that made up the outside, the plastic that, you know, formed the whole underside of it, that it was hooked to, it was just disintegrating and uh, was, uh, had broken free. So I wound up unscrewing everything and, and uh, taking some measurements. Um, The, both of the screw holes for it were completely shattered and it's really old, brittle plastic. So I didn't want to just try to glue it back together. Um, so instead I wound up taking and 3D printing a section of plastic that can go in between with the room available, go in between the plastic and how it connected to the uh, the rest of the, uh, the door itself. And that gave okay. me like eight millimeters worth of space. And so I was able to print a brand new Section that was just as large as the armrest itself. And that way I could have a lot of glue surface to what plastic was left over on the underside of that. And then that that printed piece would also be the screw holes that could mount it to the door. And that way everything could still mount up correctly and at the same height and all that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't be relying on the little two screw holes that it had of the bad plastic and instead relying on the whole underside of the bad plastic that I just JB welded to the, my, my plastic printed part. Okay. But, uh, I was able to, to 3d print, uh, in PETG, just a, a solid piece of, you know, it's about eight millimeter plastic of a certain shape that kind of fit between the two. And after it got done, it felt really good. I love it when you print stuff solid. It just, it, it, it gives the 3d print such a different, like heavier kind of bulky, <laughs> real kind of feel to it, you know, and. I put it back together and load it up in the bus and it it fills just like the other side does, like it's supposed to. So it was kind of a a nice, easy little fix for that moment. um, It would have been nice to have used my brand new scanner that I bought to have taken and scanned the broken area of the plastic. And then I could have 3D printed something that would have fit perfectly into that broken part. But... um, I'm, I'm getting a little disappointed in that scanner that I bought. And I don't think it has anything to do with the actual scanner itself. It's just my expectations of what these 3D scanners can accomplish, I think, is a little higher than what they're actually capable of doing. Um, the more I play with mine each time, the more eh, I'm just really kind of not too impressed with it. I mean, you guys have seen some of the models that I've thrown up that I've scanned of my kids' toys or whatever, just playing with it. And they're, um, I mean, they work. They work really good, but the quality is just not what I was really expecting.
0: Like a low think, poly representation of
2: yeah, yeah, pretty mm. much. Kind of and if I, you I, made
1: a, a rough shape, a rough shape out of play doh.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. And so I, I don't think it's a complete loss. Like if I had to make something uh, this armrest would have been a great example for that but i was just too much not understanding how to use it to to use it for that but i think that's probably the only situation that's really quite useful to me for right now is uh, if i gotta attach or glue in a piece of 3d printed material into something that's broken i could scan that broken surface and then use that surface to cut a 3D printed model so that it would fit properly, you know, or be able to glue into place really easily. That kind of stuff probably would work, but for right now, that's the only thing that seems to be really good. And the amount of money I spent on it, I'm not thinking that's, you know, was worth it at this point. Hmm. But uh, yeah, anything that I'm gonna scan to like recreate or something, I, I I'm feeling like it is so much better to rebuild it in CAD. Than to try to scan it, you know anything that is, you know a, a couple of instructions or most components are a couple of instructions in CAD to recreate, and you can recreate it very precisely. So it's it's not even too laborious of a task. But um, but yeah yeah. So that, that's by been my experience so far with three D printing this week is that repair and playing with the scanner a few times and kind of being a little disappointed with it. Unfortunately,
1: I think we lost. How about it. you?
2: What have you guys been up to?
1: Oh. Well, uh my printer has been sitting idle this week. Has it? Yep. Yeah. What's with what's the with... Yeah. What's with that? I don't I don't have to print anything to prove prove myself to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds
2: like someone feels bad for not using their machine all week.
1: <laughs> How
3: about uh, you,
2: Kev? What have you been up to?
3: I have been uh printing a larger dice tower. So uh when one of the first things I did with my uh, when I worked out all the kinks of my resin printer, was I printed a dice tower that I had found on Thingiverse, um, and the guy said that he had made it each component of it with resin printers in mind. Uh, my build plate was a little too small; I had to print the pieces on their sides in order to get them to fit, um, but it still worked well. Uh, I've been playing role-playing games with my brother-in-law, who went and got himself some nice fancy metal dice that are about a millimeter or two too large oh. for the uh original sized uh dice tower because i don't think yeah. i had to scale it down to make it work on my um resin printer i might have had to scale it down just a, a little bit but it was fine for most applications so uh what i've been doing with my fdm printer is i went and found the same pieces i mean i still had it them. I just wanted to make sure um I I went back on Thingiverse just to see if there was an update or whatever and I found that there were a couple of additional pieces that I could print. But anyway I scaled it up about 30% um and have been printing that. I'm almost done with it. It's a uh it's an awesome looking dice tower. It's one of it's got three different channels that the dice can go down when you're using it. And uh so I'm the pieces that I found on it are to, one of them is a a randomizer. So you drop the thing, the dice in the top hole and then it goes and it'll kind of mix up where they go because we've had it uh, where you just kind of toss the die into one of the three holes at the top and you know where it's going to go. And so this will make it a little more interesting to use and it's bigger. So it took the holes from being 30 millimeters to 40 millimeters. And then on my resin printer um, last week, hero forge was having a sale on their STLs. And so uh, my brother-in-law bought an STL that he emailed me. And then one of my friends bought three that he emailed to me. So I've been printing miniatures for those guys. Well, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: So yeah. More holes means more fun. <laughs>
0: yeah, like that.
1: <laughs> so, what have you been working
2: on, Frank?
0: Um, I actually spent all week iterating through um, a redesign for some blocks. These are children's blocks that look kind of like Legos, except they're 100 meter, millimeters long, not meters, wow. 100 millimeters okay. long and 50 wide.
1: Okay. So they're and, like the Duplo, um, Duplo Mega Blocks or whatever, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know where my mom got them. I almost wonder if she got them as like uh, something from Tupperware back in the day or whatever. But I have got six iterations. Five. Six. Six iterations that I went through just to realize that I probably should have started from the other end of the block. So, I designed the underside first and it fit perfectly on the original. And then, six iterations or five more iterations after that, I realized I am not getting the correct tightness inside from the little uh, protrusions, the nubs. Okay. So, I need to go back and I need to redesign the whole thing from the nubs down and design the block around them instead of the way I did it. Um, And little things like that are one reason, or just the one little thing that I don't so much like about Fusion is they their design procedure is, I can't remember if it's top down or bottom up, but uh, whatever it is means that everything is interdependent on everything else. And I spent more time fixing my drawing than I did actually fixing the design okay so um
2: i think we've yeah. all been there who uses cad software every once in a while <laughs> that could be a mess Decide so you want to change something go in and you break the whole darn thing
0: i actually almost decided that maybe i should redesign this thing in blender that might be a better learning procedure for me in the first place but um might be a better environment for redesigning it too
2: so, yeah, it'd give you a nice opportunity to, to learn a lot of the intricates of Blender.
0: Yeah. For, for smooth <laughs> stuff, anyway. Yeah. Smooth so. and square.
1: <laughs> I, I'm just picturing f- f- Frank acting like a five year old. I'm, I'm putting a block in the Blender. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. That too. <laughs> well, my mother started off with like 50 of them. And she's down to thirty-five or so. So something happened to those. With, Kids uh, usually happen to those three children. <laughs> wow, well, and all of the grandchildren, and another grandchild on the way. So
1: yeah. that's that's just one of those kind of tools or er, uh, toys to tool. toys. Like uh, I had some, uh, I had some for my kid too, and now now that uh, the child is older, we have pass them on to be shared over at Grandma's house, yeah, with her cousins and things.
2: Well, that's good. But yeah, the blocks you showed I, are ones I've never, I've never seen something like that before. Uh, I mean, they they kind of look like the size of Duplo blocks, but aren't Duplo blocks, right? They're like a little bit somewhere between normal Lego and Duplo.
0: Um, I don't remember Duplo.
2: No, that's fine. So,
0: and like I said, I don't know where my mom got them. I just know that. They've been there my whole life, so
2: yeah, or at least as long as I can remember. Still, it's a fun project. Yeah, I've tried printing Legos before, and uh, with with half success. I mean, nothing's going to be good as the old Lego, you know, precision ABS Lego that they do. Yeah, it's it's a it's amazing what what Lego's able. The standards that Lego has.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's better and easier just to buy, to just to buy some.
0: And they've been molding probably since the beginning of Lego rather than printing too. Um, yeah, well, like with your your point six nozzle, that's probably too wide for any of the uh, the walls on a regular Lego.
2: I think the walls on normal Legos are almost too no, though, I think there are
1: like one millimeter, aren't they?
0: I, I feel I, like I, two millimeters would be too way too big. yeah, I, I do think know you're right that.
1: on that. I yeah. do know that Lego uh, re- retires their their molds um whenever they they're just a few of millionths out of tolerance. I think they I think it's like fifty millionths when they get fifty millionths uh, too worn too big, they retire the mold. And yeah. that makes yeah, sense
0: I- too. All all Legos are interchangeable with all other Legos, or at least they stick to all other Legos. That's how you do yeah. it.
2: Yep. I'm in here looking at my son's Legos and it, it looks like the some of the smallest walls on these aren't, aren't necessarily quite
1: that thin. Think, hmm. think about it. Legos are so reliable that you can, you can use them as their own measuring stick, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no or, they're that precise.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like you can kind of see it. Uh, it looks maybe like one and a half millimeters wall thickness on the outside of the Lego. And then on the inside of the Lego, it's probably one millimeter. I don't have my Mm. calipers down here on me to really take a measurement, but, um, but yeah, yeah, everything in here that I think the 0.6 nozzle would print without problems. Mm. I love the 0.6 though. I I don't think I'm going to go back. Um, it's, um, it makes overhangs print, you know, so much more reliable. It's a lot quicker compared to running a 0.4 nozzle. And now with, Cura's Arachne engine. You can keep the same detail with the .6. Is what you got with the .4. So for me, it's kind of like you know everything is, is now now going to be printed with a .6 nozzle.
0: Well, I may I have been let me put it that way. I have been playing with the idea, but I bought a bunch of nozzles. I don't know. I I'd had my oh, printer for two months, and I just yeah. bought two dozen brass. 0. 0.4 nozzles.
1: So wow. <laughs> well, it's easy, I'm working just through go, those. Just go get a 0. 0.6 drill bit.
0: <laughs> Actually, my dad, being a machinist, he could probably help me drill them out properly.
1: Is, is it worth your time or is, no? Is it, is it worth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that would be. Absolutely not doing it on my fifty dollar drill press in my shop. <laughs> well. That that has that much run out on the um, the chuck. <laughs> yeah. More than that on the chuck. <laughs> so <laughs> not gonna happen.
2: Plus brass nozzles aren't exactly expensive, so no, they're not. That's
1: kind part, of the part, point.
0: Part of why I stuck with the brass in the first place is 'Cause it's easier to once it gets to the point where it needs to be replaced, it's easier to throw it away than it is to <laughs> to clean it.
2: I completely agree. Completely agree. It's like changing the um the clutch out on your car. If you ever pull the transmission, that clutch has got to be in near perfect condition for you to put the same one back without swapping it out. You know, if there's any reason why yeah. that nozzle's coming off. Unless it's recently taken off and, and near perfect i'm
3: just gonna put in a new one
0: i agree
2: yep
3: so, you so i get one of those expensive diamond print or nozzles huh yeah really <laughs> oh i don't think
2: any of us are printing with um any like uh, uh, what is it um nano carbon uh carbon fiber get... yeah yeah carbon, carbon fiber nanotube. stuff yeah I mean, I think that's what really tears up nozzles the most in a lot of what we print are the ones with that stuff that's embedded.
0: Yeah, um, actually, I haven't been concerned about the nozzle getting torn up so much as accidentally cooking filament inside it so that it's hard and full you know half of its ash at that point. yeah, and um, that just turns into too much trouble to clean. <laughs>
2: I, I yeah. completely agree. It is. Um, I mean if it's dirty, it's easier just
1: to replace it. And and the best way to avoid that is just not to let your uh, um not to let your print print run out.
0: Yeah. Actually the last time that happened wasn't because the print ran out, it was because the spool was knotted at the end instead of just stuck into the, the cardboard spool. So, when it got to the end, the the carriage actually broke the spindle that the spool was on, trying to pull the plastic down rather than what? pulling it off.
2: Wow, jeez! <laughs> oh, that does something
0: and it it broke it, but not enough to pull the the filament through, and eventually it gave up. <laughs> or broke, but it it broke what it was pulling on, but not before the spindle itself broke. So um, yeah, and and then it just kept going like it thought it was putting down plastic.
2: (laughs) I think the last time I had baked something in the nozzle is I went and reheated, you know, got it preheated up for a print job and then got sidetracked and forgot that I had left it preheating and I came back like an hour later, just that there had been bacon PETG right in the head. And so that was a Ooh. complete teardown and rebuild. But. And the funny
0: thing is, is it, it's slow to bake, but once it's done, you're just SOL. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: no kidding. No kidding.
0: <laughs> well, I lost signal. Did you guys get through everyone else? Yep. Before yep. I got back? Yep. How fun.
1: Um, Chris, do nothing.
0: Oh, That explains why it was so fast. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, So we had a topic this week. um, Born of a question of, is it better to replace a project with a print or buy a part? Does anybody have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, we've already been talking about that a little bit. Right. You know, with the Legos. I
3: I would say that it kind of depends on a number of factors. Like is is the thing you need available to purchase how much does that thing cost compared to how much would it cost to print it and uh also how much time would you spend trying to print it rather than simply buying a replacement
0: sure and and along with that would be um how much of it is enriching to print it right right i mean yeah yes. you can run down to the store and buy the part for 20 bucks or you can spend five hours designing it and print it off in 20 minutes after that but you've learned something about how to design or you just enjoyed designing it sure um, me and Kent, andy have talked about falling down that hole a few times
2: no, yeah. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. That that's like sometimes you just get a project that would be fun to sit down and design, and half the enjoyment is the the design itself versus the actual benefiting from you know having a replacement three D printed item.
1: Well, mm-hmm. at, at that point, it's kind of like watching a movie. It's just your personal entertainment value versus, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Or you got well, something
2: and, that's on that project that you don't necessarily know how to do yet. And that would be a good project to do to learn that new, new task, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, we've all experienced uh, what the, pro, or the software engineering industry refers to as scope, bloat. Where you start off on something that's supposed to be a little project, but it leads to this side project and this side project, just so you can do the main project and then you step forward a little bit and, you know, side quests yeah. all over the place. So 30 <laughs> it's like that 30 minute project turns into a three day project.
1: It's like that episode of Malcolm in the Middle where uh, Brian Cranston was just trying to replace a light bulb in the kitchen.
2: <laughs> I remember that episode. The wife, the it, it wife went, comes- like to the very end. He's like working on the car, got the entire engine out or something, and she complains about, well, I just asked you to change the light bulb, and he gets up and says, like, What do you think what I'm what doing? <laughs> doing? <laughs> that's yeah, that's like the that. story of my life right there. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm doing another. this side project so I can do the main project, which... <laughs> requires that I do this other thing and then this mount and then these other three projects. Yeah. But I'm almost there. <laughs> yeah. Actually a lot of my custom tools that I have made in my garage for the carpentry stuff were side projects just so I could achieve one thing. Yeah. <laughs> um not the least of which was a router table that I could mount to the side of my workbench
2: okay just so uh, i
0: so i could run one piece of molding down the router table
2: (laughs) (laughs) well that's good i mean just little things like that just means that you weren't set up properly in the first place so that's that's just fixing up for just more than just that one project so
0: that's fair
2: It's just like when you need that custom weird tool that you just take a bunch of scrap tools and weld them together till you get what you need well you didn't have it when you needed it so now you do and hopefully it will work for something else down the road than the 2 hours you spent making the one tool to shave off that you know 10 minutes that it would have taken to uh, to just do it the long way
0: speaking of amalgamations of tools chris i used the crescent hammer you gave me a while ago awesome as a hammer
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice um, I,
1: I can't believe I actually welded that thing together as well as it ended up being. Oh,
0: such a beautiful weld job, honestly. <laughs> um, but for those who don't know what I'm talking about, um, my dad is a machinist using precision tools at work. Um, one day referred to a crescent hammer, or, uh, a crescent wrench as a crescent hammer. Mostly out of an irony of we use it to hammer on stuff almost as often as we do to loosen or tighten bolts.
1: And he's not and, wrong.
0: And um, Chris, for was it for my birthday or for Christmas or something? I think you it was Christmas.
1: Remembered? I think it was Christmas. Had I mean.
0: welded a ball peen hammer to head to the bottom of a inch and a half crescent wrench. <laughs> <laughs> and gave it to me for the holiday, <laughs> and it's been sitting in my tool bin or my my uh, tool chest now for seven, eight years, and I hardly use it. But it was the only ball peen hammer I had, so
1: you <laughs> <laughs> put it to uh, work. Still, one of the best gag gifts I could ever do. <laughs> um,
3: I, I admire Andy's gag gifts for you, honestly. <laughs> I was going to say, next, Chris, what you need to do is figure out how to do a, a wrap of your face around the handle. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, so there is a whole
0: strain of additive printing that is basically just a welding rod, or not necessarily even a rod, but like, a what's the other one that has the filament fed through it for welders? Like a TIG? Yeah, like a TIG welder except for it, it's on a, a mechanized gantry like a 3D printer and does additive that way.
2: Yeah. yeah and uh,
0: as long as we have already covered the, the topic of using your printer for things for which it wasn't designed, it actually was designed for that. So
2: you, know, you, you, you just made me think of something here. If Chris was to make you a tool and put his face on it, the first thing that comes to my mind is electroplating. Like the same way that you would go through and etch a uh, circuit board Mm -hmm. with a a laser printer. I wonder if you could accomplish the same thing with electroplating. If you were to take that toner and put it on a surface so that the electroplating can't take place in those areas, then you could do multiple tones of electroplating using different metals to come up with your image. (laughs) (laughs) That would
1: be kind of cool too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I, can put a, I can put a picture on a piece of wood, but that's about as far as I go. Yeah. You use a wooden handle. Yeah, I could.
0: Uh, I, I haven't gotten into the
2: blacksmithing
0: a whole lot, but I do have the intention eventually to build up my hammers and actually fire up the force that my brother gave me. And um, when I do that, I may just need to expand my collection of hammers and uh,
2: handles. I could see you totally getting into that kind of stuff. That's one of the things that uh, Facebook regularly sends me videos on because I, I get lost in watching them, is the people just making the, uh, the, the knives and stuff like that mm-hmm. from scratch. That's a neat talent those people have. You know, when I was a
3: teenager, yeah. I swore up and down that I was going to have an anvil and forge at my, at my house when I grew up. For my metal working merit badge, we went to Wheeler Farm and did blacksmithing, and it was so Mm -hmm. much fun. Yeah. You
1: know, and I I, want to blame cartoons that they gave us an unreal expectation of how common anvils actually are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you
0: can blame cartoons for a lot of things, but I don't know, go back 60 years and they were probably a lot more common than they are now.
2: Well, it's just like um, quicksand. It's it's not something we have to worry about. I mean, I don't know how many hard hats I wear through the day waiting for one to fall from the sky and hit me in the head. Quicksand, uh, <laughs> anvil.
1: <laughs> oh, but, yeah. I mean, the only anvil. I mean, I have a single anvil, and it's a combination anvil uh, uh, clamp.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. Got, I think I, I got know, the same thing too. It's just oh, the, the, the it's little anvil a that's on the vice. Yeah, all the
0: ways it's it's more like a called a bench anvil vice thing. <laughs> Um, so when my brother created the, uh, the forge for me, it's a, a propane forge, uh, with one, uh, burner inside it, Mm -hmm. which I still have to line. This is how close I am to actually using the damn thing. But, um, he also took a eight or 10 inch long piece of railroad track and just mm-hmm. flattened out in the bottom and put a horn on it and that's my basic anvil and then oh, cool. I, I've seen that as often as anything you watch some of the videos of these people that have actually managed to get a forge going and they're using a piece of track as often as they're using anything else
2: it is neat well I would I I don't I mean I'm sure there's a lot of angles and stuff a proper anvil has for for metalworking that is important but if you're just playing around or just doing your own thing I bet a Piece of track would be perfect.
1: Bam, I bang.
0: think I think the biggest thing that you get with an anvil actually after it gets bigger, you know, once you get to the three hundred pounders or more, yeah, um, is they tend to have the the holes for tools. Um, so yeah, you've got your Jake tools that you can put in there and like turn, um, do spirals and that sort of thing, rather than hammering it in on the horn you just get the metal hot and put it in the jig and move it like that. Yeah. And um, the smaller anvils and especially like the track anvils and that sort of thing wouldn't necessarily have that kind of hole for it. True. But otherwise you can use any solid piece of steel for the geometry you're looking for, as long as you've got the horn and you've got some, at least one straight edge. Yeah. And ideally a flat surface to do it all on But Yeah. Oh, and uh, don't use plastic for your anvil, so don't print one off. and
1: <laughs> that, was, that was exactly my next question. I was like, you know, I, I don't have an anvil. I can actually print print one up. i I should do that.
0: <laughs> I have seen where people will three d print um the protective surfaces for their
2: clamps, yeah. That's like, uh, know, too, yeah. when you're working yeah. with
0: wood or something, you don't want your clamp to uh press into it or not, oh, yeah. you clamp your vice to press into it because, oh, yeah, same very thing aggressive. with
1: the, yeah, same thing with card, uh, car jacks, the jack stands, you know,
0: and uh, you don't necessarily want to run to the hardware store. Well, it'll probably be quicker to run to the hardware store, I guess, depending on the emergency, and but um, you get
3: back into is it worth it to print it or just buy it,
0: but uh, All of our plastics, all of our thermal plastics would be great because they're being compressed in a situation like that or on the device or something.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a,
0: and this is, you can probably print it for a hell of a lot less than you can buy it for at the hardware store.
1: So you got, you guys might be, might be a little concerned. This is not coming from Andy, but it's coming from me. But yeah, use TPU for, uh, for, uh, those in between kind of things, you know, when you're trying to get a, Slightly softer um, rubber, yeah. yeah, stuff that you're, tr- you, you know, the purpose is to avoid damaging uh, mating surfaces.
0: Yeah, well, and we we've talked about even the possibility of like mallet heads and that sort of thing.
1: three mm. um,
2: yeah. D printed,
0: um,
1: yeah, putting ball bearings in it, and I yeah. think
2: that would actually work really well. A, a mallet, making a mallet out of TPU, I bet that would work good.
0: Especially if you do, well, okay. So Chris has got his mallets that he uses on like brass and that sort of thing. And they're basically just plastic faces yeah. that he's hammering with. Mm-hmm. Um, your dead stop mallets are just plastic with sand in them. Yep.
1: So, yeah. So, so yeah, actually I have mallets of lots of different materials. I've got them. Uh, you've got wood mallets. You've got your rubber mallets. You've got your dead stop uh, mallets. And then I've got my brass mallet. <clears throat> And then, um, I think I have a steel mallet, which is basically a hammer, but it's a big round, big round thing. It's not a design specifically designed head. So, at at that point, you just call it a sledgehammer.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. So my dad, the di, the OG DIY guy in my family, as long as you don't <laughs> count my grandfather or my great grandfather. Um, (laughs) my dad took a five pound sledgehammer that we had been using and he broke the handle on it and he just kept shortening the handle and putting it back in eventually it got down to where you've got the five pound sledgehammer with a foot and a half long handle and he stopped (laughs) using it as a sledgehammer so much as a regular just hammer (laughs) Okay, (laughs) because you know at that point it's not it doesn't have the reach to get the concrete unless you don't care about your back. So
1: well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at what, at one point, at what point do you stop and just gra- grab a rock like, and bang on something like a monkey, you know? Wow.
0: Wow. <laughs> no. And, and he, <laughs> he was finding use for it. So he kept it short and went and bought a new sledgehammer. <laughs> there you go.
1: But if he, if he could have 3d printed a new handle, do you think that would have been worth it?
0: I would be concerned about the layer lines, right? Yeah. And th- that's assuming, so even if I, you I, I can it... see 3D printing a handle, like, like a grip for the handle, but not the handle itself. Right. Because I, I think if anything, it, it just I wouldn't... wouldn't stand up to the impact stress. I, I would think, you if know.
3: anything, you would 3D print the handle and then um, use that for lost medium casting. There you go. There's another yeah. idea. Mm-hmm.
0: Just because our little hobby printers, number one, they're not big enough to print a handle that would be long enough to be valuable. as a sledgehammer handle or a pick right, handle yeah. or anything like that?
1: Yep. And then, at, at what point is it worth just going down to the store and buying a replacement handle?
0: It, I, I would definitely say buy the replacement handle and print a grip for it. <laughs>
1: yeah, because yeah. that's that's a great thing about. Uh, uh, printing uh accessories for your tools. Mm-hmm. It, you can customize it to your hand size.
0: Well, and not even necessarily that, but you can customize it to the tool set itself. Um, I've got one of those 150 tool uh sets that I got from Craftsman. Actually, Andy, you've got one very much like it. I think. Yeah. It was actually the same tool set. But uh, my brother-in-law, a couple of years ago, decided that I needed to replace my tool set. So he bought me a DeWalt tool set that is beautiful, but I was using Craftsman, and I hadn't even broken any of the the sockets or anything like that. So I cannibalized the plastic um, from the case and used it to store in my toolbox, and I wasn't happy with it. So I ended up purchasing before i got my 3d printer some socket um organization stuff okay and i don't use half of it because the tool set that i have is half as big as the ones that this thing was designed for which i didn't realize when i bought it i i thought it was just you know one set of metric and one set of um sae but it's like one set of SAE deep sockets for every size you can think of. One set of SAE half inch drive. One set of half or quarter, or quarter inch drive. One set of 5 eighths drive. Full sets for all of those for both metric and SAE. And it's like, I don't have this many tools. <laughs> I have yeah. those
3: too. <laughs> okay. um, that's that's so,
1: another thing I came across though is like, I've got uh, an older toolbox that I inherited from uh, uh, the, the wife's grandfolks, and it's a pretty sturdy box, so of course I'm keeping it, but now it's a different size than a lot of other toolboxes. So when I, bought, when I go to buy an organizer for, for my tools to fit in there, they don't really fit all that great. You know, or or the things that I can get to fit in the drawer, and there ends up being like a lot of extra space in the drawers that the organizer doesn't go to. So, having a three D printer in this case is great because I can print things custom to the drawer size
0: and the tool set
1: and the tool set um, instead of just buying some generic the generic thing that uh, it kind of fits, but it doesn't doesn't use up all the space. Oh well, I'm one of those. Yes. If there's space there, I should use it for something.
0: Yeah, right. And you've also got, is it four toolboxes now, or is it still just the three then? Um, Tool chests, big ones, all the drawers. Where well, am I've I got, misremembering?
1: So, yeah, I've, I've got three, and I guess it might technically be four, because the one has a, the, the set on top of it, so... Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the old one I inherited, there's the one I had when I was a mechanic, and then there's the one I put in my basement for all my tools in, in, that I use in, around the house.
0: So in other words, you've got a ton of storage for your tools and probably still not enough for the tools that <laughs> you possess?
1: Yeah, there are, there are, there are stool, still tools uh, overflowing onto the various shelves in my garage.
0: And so organizing to fill every square inch available is probably a good plan for you.
1: Yes. Very important for (laughs) the guy with all the tools.
0: (laughs) Wow. That was harder to get around to than I thought it would be when I started.
2: (laughs) Um, That is useful though. I mean, I've seen some of the organizers that you've made for your boxes, Frank and, I've had a couple of uh, the little drawer boxes, the little plastic drawers mm-hmm. that uh, got broken or whatever, and I've wound up printed new drawers altogether to fit in there. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to print whatever organization you want
1: for your tool set, that's for sure. Um, yep, and that's worth yeah. uh, that, that's worth uh, printing just a single piece or two rather than going down to the store and buying a whole new organizational drawer set because you broke one or two of the drawers, you know? Yeah, well, and I completely agree with that one.
0: With the, uh, I still haven't designed an actual tool chest. That might be a better approach than the bench that I was originally doing, the one I talked about last week. Yeah. Just design a, a little mini tool chest that goes underneath my printer or my control module uh, with drawers for what I'm doing rather than using an existing I called it a toolbox but it's an empty spool or a box that a spool came in okay <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, I'm kind of beholden to the size of that box unless I want to cut it down so if I just design a tool chest with deep drawers so it fits underneath my control module that might be better yeah building around the uh the cardboard box and then it'll be the right size for my printer too.
2: That's not a bad idea. Uh, I've got a box of all my printer craft. It's just a box I throw stuff in. It mm-hmm. would be nice to have an actual more organized setup, especially for the tools mm-hmm. that you always go back to using and whatnot. I agree. You, guys,
1: you guys know those those plastic plastic drawer bin things. You know they're they're plastic and they have drawers. That's kind of like a dresser.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I uh, I uh, inherited one of those when the wife was reorganizing her sewing and what have you. And so I've been putting all my printer stuff in that. Oh, that's a good idea.
2: Yeah. When I,
1: even though I have two, two desks and (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming
0: you still use it Andy, but, uh, I'm what I've got in mind. Well, excuse me. That's going to get cut out. Um, (laughs) is the, uh, When you had a bunch of adults living in the house, you had a toolbox inside the house. Yeah. Grab the mail and then sort it out depending on who was where. And uh, that's what I imagine Chris is using for his toolbox.
1: Yep. Just a bigger one. Okay. Makes sense. You know, we still use that,
2: uh, that indoor mailbox in the house here, even though it's just my family now. We use it to organize all of our mill instead. And and some of them still have the names of people that live here. Like Phil's box is our, our box for our tax information for Jenny's business. You know, little things <laughs> like that. <laughs> Gets confusing if we pull the names off of it at this point. <laughs> Positional memory
0: is not yeah. enough for you.
2: Yeah, there you go.
0: Got to blame an old roommate for the bills and... I'm assuming my name is still on one because I wasn't gone that much before Phil was. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yep. You got your name on one still too.
0: As long as it's not something bad, I'm okay with that. You can have, (laughs) you can make use of my name, I guess. Well, you Uh. know,
2: as as my friends kind of moved out of my house, they would still occasionally receive mail. And That's so true. it made it a fit. It made it nice to just leave the names on the in interior mailboxes, and then you know, as as someone new came in or whatnot, you usually just typed up a new label and put it on the box that receives the the least amount of mail on a normal basis. So it worked. It's kind of weird thinking back at how much this house is seen as far as people living here while I was living here.
0: Well, you got to pay the bills somehow.
2: Yeah. I couldn't afford it when I originally bought the damn thing.
0: Roommates is the way to do it when you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel bad for the people that got married at 19 and tried to buy a house. They didn't have room to to put roommates in.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is true.
0: That's a thing, though. So uh, we're at about an hour, and I feel like we have gone way far afield like we do of the topic. <laughs> well, I think
3: we did touch on it toward I mean, kind it was, of, it was, it was kind of a touch
1: and, touch and go all, all episode.
3: Right. As, as we were talking about all the customizations you can do, I, I'd say if you can customize something, then yeah, go for it, print it. Especially
0: when you're just investing a little bit of time. Right. Or, you know, if you're investing a lot of time, even it might be worth the design phase and the, the cost in plastic is going to be a fraction of what it would take to go to the store and buy the thing. Right. So I guess it's a matter of imminent need. Do I need this in five minutes, or can it wait a day or two while I figure it out? Um, you know, you,
2: you talk about the cost of plastic being cheap, and it is. It's really cheap to print stuff. But do you guys go through the same kind of panic I do when you think about how much money you've spent on reels of plastic? Yes. No. <laughs>
0: I, I, I try not to think about it personally.
2: Like I have a lot more expensive. I have
0: a lot, more in, have a lot more in the way of plastic toys in my office than I ever would have before I got the printer. Yeah. Um, and they're all toys. Some of them are statues, most of them are toys, or you know, just the odd curiosity that I designed to see if I could. Yeah. Um or the, the odd, you know, Batman mask. Um,
3: <laughs> and some of it, you know, I don't I look feel at like, and I see, I, sometimes I look at it and see that they're like, Hey, yeah, you can buy uh PLA at $10 a kilogram if you buy 10 all at once and I'm like that's a really good (laughs) price per kilogram but can I really drop a hundred dollars on in one go (laughs) Yeah, I I
0: I will admit I usually pay closer to 25 or 30 dollars a kilogram and I'll buy probably one or two a month yeah um depending on how actively or how big my prints are. You know, when I was doing the uh the table prints, I actually went through a spool and a half for the fittings. Okay. And that, that stacks up real quick. But if I'm just doing yeah. small prints, they uh I say two a month. It's probably more like four a month, two each paycheck. Anyway, the point is I can spend sixty dollars on plastic that I use to print with and probably ten or fifteen percent of it ends up as scrap. Or I can yeah. spend $30 at whatever vendor to buy this part that I need every two or three months and yeah. not have the fun of having my 3D printer. Right.
2: Yeah. So
0: it, it, there's that balance scale. I enjoy using the printer. So I design for it. And could I buy or could I spend less money on the plastic parts as I need them? Absolutely but I wouldn't have all the extra stuff that I can design or just enjoy printing in the meantime. Exactly. Yeah.
2: I think you're right on that one.
0: What else would I do with my free time? Video games? Right. Read? Ah, oh, geez. <laughs> I, I could read so much more if I wasn't designing stuff on my printer.
2: What, what time? Uh, free time? What? I've never heard of yeah,
0: that. Yeah. Right. Well, I, we don't have kids. <laughs> So
1: (laughs) yeah, my, my
0: not printing time is actual free time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Stop rubbing it in. Although uh, going
3: going back to the cost of supplies. um, When I first got the resin printer, I was reading stuff about, well, yeah. Resin is more expensive than FDM, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't necessarily think that's true. Because like Frank said, he's he'll spend twenty five dollars for a kilogram full of of uh, filament. I mean when I buy resin, it's fourteen to twenty-five dollars for a kilogram of standard resin, depending on sales and stuff.
2: Okay. That's
3: not so, too that's not too different. No, it's, and a, it's pretty close to the same price. A
0: new requirement that Ooh. half of your print is supports changes.
3: I mean, there's that. It costs a little bit. There there, is
0: that. (laughs) Um, Well, okay. So like uh, a couple of years ago, Andy, you might remember this. I was tracking the fuel that I put into my car for a year and the miles that I got out of it. Yeah. And interestingly, the high octane per mile was about the same as the low octane per mile. For okay. my little, it was a four-cylinder Focus. And um, for that little car, at least, there was no cost difference per mile or a negligible cost difference. And the higher octane was better for the engine. So I just was putting high-octane fuel in my car. Okay. Um, and it burned cleaner, so it was better for the environment, too, and all that stuff. So I, I imagine it the the reason it comes to mind is because with resin and uh, thermoplastic being so similar in price, it makes sense that it would be just a matter of what it, where do you prefer to use it? You know, do you require resolution or do you require strength or variety in material or whatever? right?
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: once you mm-hmm. buy the thing, or do you want to do big things, or are you only going to do small things?: Yeah, so. Um, Derp. Doop, doop, doop. I'm going to cut this out anyway this little section until Andy gets back and we can close it up and Kevin you can go do your thing and I've got some stuff I need to do sometime yep. today too so eventually doop,
1: doop. Yep, I've got a I've got a car to finish putting together before Kevin gets here So
0: so that you only so that you don't break the limit or is it standing cars in your driveway overnight
1: Um, Well, this one's been here for uh, two weeks almost, because, well, no, it's been here a week. Yeah. um, Eldon's check engine light came on two weeks ago, or or like a month ago. Turns out his timing chain was was worn enough that it needed to be replaced.
0: Well, that's not good.
1: Yeah. So anyway, got the new timing chain and all that on. So I'm just putting the rest of it back together this morning, and you know, valve cover and uh, engine engine mount drive belts. So almost done with it.
0: There he is. Hey, Andy.
1: Did we finish?
3: Not yet.
0: Yeah. Well, not yet. We were waiting on
2: you so we could wrap it up. I'm terribly sorry about that. Desmond came screaming and had his finger caught in one of Milo's toys. So it was a slight emergency. I had to (laughs) run off to real quick. We're not, cool.
0: not going to be critical of you for abandoning us in the last minute of the <laughs> podcast, dude. It, it Especially is very after rare. I said, I don't have youngsters.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he usually writes me notes and puts them under the door when I'm doing the podcast. So to have him holler through the door he needed help, you know, that's kind of drop everything and go <laughs> make sure everything's okay kind of situation.
0: Yeah, yeah totally. That's fair. Yeah. All right, let's wrap this up and uh, we'll let everyone go do stuff. Uh, We'd like to thank everyone for listening to the very end.
1: The very, very end.
0: If you like what you hear, please give us all the stars and subscribe. We are available through a wide variety of podcast vendors and so are easy to share. If you have feedback or if you have content requests, please let us know. You can find us in our Facebook group, Amateur 3D Pod. Or you can email us at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. Our individual feedback email addresses are Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at amateur3dpod.com. The music in this episode was written by Kevin Buckner. OpenAI's Whisper completed the heavy lifting for the transcripts, which you can find linked in the description. Our panelists are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy Cotton. And until next time. We're going offline. Keep
3: your FEP tight.
1: Cue the end of the episode plug. Print everything. (laughs) Sorry, I
2: didn't talk nearly this much this time. My brain just wasn't in the game. It's
1: fine. Uh, Craig's still on and Frank is not.
2: That
3: is. Hey, Craig. Hi, Craig.
2: Yellow, yellow.
3: Chris, you're muted. Hello, infidels.
2: There he (laughs) is. So I'm not breathing on my mic.